Eons past, a monstrous hybrid of land and marine reptiles was sealed into a state of suspended animation, slumbering through the fall of dinosaurs and the rise of man. But awakened by an undersea nuclear test, the creature returned to life, now breathing the fires of radiation. Stan Lee presents Godzilla, King of the Monsters! The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 79, The Mega Monsters from Beyond, Part 2, Triax, Godzilla issue number 13, cover date August 1978. Hello, time travelers. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I am back for another jaunt back in time to 1978. And in this case, we are going back to May of 1978 to look at the spinner rack and see what other licensed sci-fi books Marvel has outside of Star Wars. Well, and what do we have now? It's, it's Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So this issue, issue number 13, is the second part of a trilogy, I guess, the Mega Monsters from Beyond trilogy, and it's part two, it's the middle, you know, so it's setting up all the terrible stuff, it's 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 the middle act of our three-act structure, and I don't know what to expect for next issue, but this issue seems to set up some pretty good stuff for the conclusion, which... I only know it's the conclusion because at the very end of this issue, it says next issue is the conclusion. So judging by the context clues, I can tell what's going to happen in the in the future and not just because of my time travel abilities. So anyway, uh, once again, uh, for this for this episode, for this issue, for this comic, I listened to Michael Gissino's cloverfield soundtrack and it made the experience much more fun at least i think it made the experience much more fun i mean you can't measure something like that i guess because you can't replicate the same story uh, without the music then so i've listened to the music and read once and now i can't turn around and read it over again without the music because well every time you reread a story it's clouded by your memories of the previous time and and in this case, it would be clouded by, you know, the music being in my head from, you know, just moments before. Uh, and you're also, you know, you're, you're changed by your experiences in the time since. Uh, you, you just you can't replicate perfectly uh, experiencing a story the same because, uh, you know, reading is a dialogue between you and the story in a lot of ways. And and you bring to it your thoughts and your experiences and your emotions and you know, your feelings of the moment, but also your feelings from the past. And, you know, as time progresses, you read it one time and, and then time has moved forward. And so you are you're a different person. This the story may not have changed, but but you have, you know, you, you're uh, 
you know, even just rereading a comic book, um, I'm if I were to read this issue once and then just right away flip back and start reading it again, um, I'm a different person. I'm now a person who spent, you know, when I read it the first time, I sat down in the chair for the first time and read. But now I'm a person who spent 10 minutes in that spot. And so maybe my butt's a little more uncomfortable or something having uh, sat there for, for 10 minutes in an uncomfortable chair, which this chair is not comfortable. I need to get a new one. But anyway, I'm and you're also uh, I'm a person who's been affected by the story already. And so the very story that I'm going to start rereading uh, has already been synthesized into uh, synthesized into me, I guess. So, um yeah, so enough armchair philosophizing. Uh, just, just to cap this little bit off, um, stories have power, and and they have power to change you. They they really do have power. They good or bad, they have power. You're taking in someone else's thoughts, and you're taking in someone else's ideas, both fictional people's thoughts and ideas, and also you know the real life creator and his thoughts and ideas or her thoughts and ideas that are going into your mind they're going into your soul your brain or i mean they're going into you you know so good stories have power and bad stories have power honestly human fly those stories have some power poorly told stories have power because they affect you and they cause reaction and they cause connection and the strength of that power is you know determined by talent and presentation and simplicity or complexity um, it's affected by your own affinity with the worldview of the creator or the lack of affinity with the creator's worldview. And um, I probably should just stop there. As you can see, I'm passionate about the power of story. And that's why I do a podcast about these stories. And even though they're pulpy, pop fiction type things, I enjoy them, and I guess part of this is exploring what I enjoy about them and exploring um, what can be enjoyed, enjoyed, and and then at the same time exploring what makes them effective or ineffective. And so in a lot of ways, I am as a writer, as a comic book writer, and as a – you know, I, I do other storytelling venues as well with puppets and things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing these stories, but – as a writer, I experience them on a couple different levels. And one of them is to explore what makes them work, what makes them don't work, don't work, what makes them not work. Uh, yes, I'm writer man. Um, so uh, anyway, that's enough of that. On to some Godzilla, right? <laughs> so issue 13, we're on the back end of things now. Uh, strictly speaking, by the rules of time travel, I really shouldn't know that this is the back end of the series. Uh, I shouldn't know this if I'm experiencing these comics in real time, that is. Uh, but I do. Godzilla, last 24 issues. I, I know this. I can't not know that because it's something that I know in my head. I guess I could not mention it, but uh, I already have. And I like to keep editing to a minimum. So here we are. Issue 13, The Mega Monsters from Beyond, Part 2, Triax. Issue 13 of 24. <laughs> so the story here has some interesting moments, and I'm going to say if you judge a kaiju story by the people inhabiting it with the monsters, there's some good stuff going on here. Uh, and I do judge a kaiju story by the people inhabiting it with the monsters. So there's some 
little bit of good stuff going on here. The setup for this particular issue is that two warring alien races, the Megans and the Batons, have been fighting a battle for ages. And they're in the final moments of it. They fight it through giant monsters uh, going to worlds and just duking it out. And the Batons, 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 whatever, they're, they're basically at their core white hat wearing good guys. And they are now in the middle of their last ditch effort to win the war, to win a losing war for them and save multiple worlds, including the Earth. And their last ditch effort is to enlist Godzilla as their representative in the battle. The Megans, who are in their core, basically mustache twirling bad guys, have three powerful monsters left. And they are sending them to Earth to battle the Earth's mightiest warriors, the Avengers. No, no, wait. The Hulk. No, no. Godzilla. No, no, Godzilla is still not even there. Uh, Red Ronin. Yeah, the giant robotic suit piloted by Rob Takaguchi has been identified as the, one of the world's three most powerful warriors. And sure, whatever. This takes place in the Marvel 616. But the title is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Although I noticed it's actually just Godzilla on the cover of this one. And in Mike's Amazing World of Comics, it does say... Uh, just Godzilla it doesn't say Godzilla King of the Monsters, so I may have the title all wrong, the official title all wrong, and I guess it doesn't matter though. This is Godzilla's book. Red Ronin is in the supporting cast, so Red Ronin gets preferential treatment. Let's just accept that and move on. So moving on into this issue, Godzilla has been sent back in Earth just to help rob fight one of the three Megan's creatures. Uh, the one that he's fighting, I think is, well, yeah, it's Triax, the title of this chapter. And they, the Megan's creature is now losing the battle. The Triax is losing the battle just outside of Salt Lake city. And uh, yeah, actually Salt Lake city's, um, I guess we're, we're back continuing the trek across America, which, you know, I like, I like that conceit. I like that element here of Godzilla in this American comic is going around through America, uh, kind of like, you know, J. Michael Straczynski's Superman Grounded, where he's going to walk across America and discover what it means to be an alien in America. Well, what does it mean to be a, a kaiju in America? This is what Godzilla is learning, and he is now in Salt Lake City. And. Red Ronin is fighting Triax with Godzilla at his side. They are winning, which means that uh, the Megans decide to divert the other two creatures to team up against Red Ronin and Godzilla. So we have three against two. And I'm assuming that they were going to send those other creatures, you know, out to find, say, you know, the Hulk or the Avengers or Fing Fang Foom or whoever is more powerful. But uh, I wondered, I think, last episode about Godzilla, if this would be a you know, quote, fight a different monster in each chapter style of quest. But no, it, it's actually, it looks like this issue is a battle royale. I mean, right here, right now, the creatures are teaming up against Godzilla. And the creatures are Triax. It's a rhino-like monster with a beak for a head. So it's still kind of continuing that rhino-like thing. But imagine the rhino mouth as the entire head. And two eyes on stalks. And then there's Rianne, 
a Venus flytrap style monster with a blade for a tail that is used like a helicopter propeller for flight. And Crawler, a multi-legged beast with large, a large mouth uh, featuring lots and lots of teeth that let him like grind the soil and dig through the earth, tunnel through the earth. And then when it pops out of the ground, it can spit out the, the dirt as, as a weapon. And I'm reminded of some of those uh, those realistic artists who redraw monsters created by five-year-olds. And they don't feel like something from a Toho film. They just feel like kind of a, like I said, a five-year-old's fever dream put to paper by an adult. Um, and I guess one reason they don't feel like a Toho thing is because putting a man in those seat- suits would be technically almost impossible but they do work in this story this monster mayhem fighting through the streets of salt lake city slug festing their way through buildings and with the good guys trying to get them out of the city and the bad guys not caring where they go and fighting happens destruction happens it's well drawn fighting and well drawn and dramatic destruction and not a lot of big, huge panels, but there are a couple. There's one where Dum Dum Dugan comes flying in in his shield uh, flying saucery type craft. And he's just so dismayed because Godzilla and Red Rodin have been joined by three more creatures. And, and it's a nice, nice shot with buildings in the foreground to give us uh, some context of, of the size of things, the scale of things. And it's it's... Well drawn, well drawn, but there's also well written stuff going on here. There's a lot of character stuff going on. And for a 17 page story, like I said, when I say a lot, I mean a lot. Uh, first, you have Rob Takaguchi, who, as he's in Red Ronin and doing, you know, joining in the fight with Godzilla, he does some armchair philosophizing of his own. I guess I'm not outside of the theme of this book as he does this, but he, he remembers regretting that he killed Yetrigar, but here he finds himself once more fighting to kill a living creature. He feels a little bit better about himself doing this. Um, at least he, maybe he's making himself feel better about it because he thinks the creature is evil. Although there are psychic extra instructions that come from the Megans and they can be actually the, these psychic instruction, psychic instructions can be heard by everyone around uh they, they can hear this but through that we learn that it's possible that these creatures are just under mind control and they're actually being forced to do this and maybe this isn't in their nature and they have been augmented too with uh with mechanical bits and pieces here and there and so they've been built to be the ultimate fighting machines and then they've also been they're being controlled to do so as well and so whether or not they're under mind control doesn't really matter. It seems to be a thread that's just kind of dropped and Rob doesn't really spend much time thinking about the fact. In fact, it comes right at the end of his, his whole philosophizing scene where he says they're, they just said that they're evil. And then he hears the voice in his head. No, they didn't say anything. They're under our control. And then we just continue the fight. But uh, yeah, with Rob, you got some, interesting stuff that's bordering on some complex emotional twists and turns, I guess. Um, but not a lot of follow through here. It is only 17 pages. And at the end though, everything gets turned on its head (laughs) and, uh, 
that phrase actually is appropriate, which I guess we'll talk about later. Anyway, uh, second, we have Dum Dum Dugan, who he is ready to unleash all the fury of all the weapons of everyone who is assembled there, which seems to be just the National Guard. But he is then reminded that Rob is in Red Ronin. And are they going to really fire on everything if that means firing on Rob? And Dum Dum stops. Suddenly, his surly anger against the monsters turns to a new target and that new target is the commander of the national guard and he's saying you will not fire anything you will not fire anything and this leads us to the greatest dum-dum quote of the issue he says to that guy as long as that big red robot is mixed in with the monsters that's exactly what i want referring to the holding the fire and next time i give an order you're gonna obey me order you obey Understand? Now hold your blasted ding-dong fire. <laughs> and he cows the, the commander, says, uh, you heard your new commander, men. Hold your fire. So, S.H.I.E.L.D. showing up, having their uh, authority challenged, and then having their thor- authority quickly established. <laughs> and here, you know, kind of going into the theme of who does things and why, Dum Dum Dugan, you know, he values life especially human life. And he is willing to make concessions and some sacrifices uh, to do so, to, to save a human life. Now, third, some of the more, more human character stuff going on, Tamara Takaguchi and Jimmy Wong arrive and they arrive for no real reason other than to be there for Rob's fate. And not even in this issue, but I'm, I just have a feeling that the real world reason to bring them in is so that they can be there so that next issue they can deal with the repercussions of what has happened to Rob, which is Tamara's brother. But the story reason for them being there is kind of dumb. It's uh, they're bringing a message from Nick Fury to keep all the stuff that's happening out of the moon top secret, which I don't know why they would come in the middle of the battlefield to tell the person who's command the commander of what's going on in the battlefield to not talk about stuff that's going on on the moon. But um, I don't even know if Dum Dum Dugan knew what was going on on the moon. Anyway, there's no real reason for them to be there. Other than the personal reasons, I guess. Fourth, the Baton, Baton's, Bait, the Baton's, Baton's, I don't know. So they see that there's a Megan spaceship coming and they are going to choose to, uh, they have two choices. Continue hiding on the moon and stay safe or try to stop the Megans and risk discovery, uh, discovery at best. And I guess then dis- destruction would be the, the worst, worst case scenario. And they are fully dedicated to their cause, which is fighting this war. And so in the end, their decision is to follow up on that that motivation uh, to take that, I guess, take that dedication to the end game. And that's sacrifice their safety and maybe their own lives to help the people of Earth and to help the whole war. And so they do. They fly out away from their secret hidden base and they damage the Megan's ship, but they also get damaged themselves and they start to crash. And the autopilot then guides their out of control ship back to their moon base and the moon base gets destroyed as they crash into it. So they have made the ultimate sacrifice in this war. And then fifth the fifth character thing that's going on here around the battle. 
like I said, this is packed with different things going on in a 17 page story. But you have the Megans who are also dedicated to their cause and they also are willing to sacrifice themselves. And they they do so, but they're doing it not to save people. They're doing it because they want to send an energy blast that will cause the three monsters to power up to the next level, Power Rangers style. And so, uh, they're already giant, but they're going to be made more giant. And so they are willing to sacrifice themselves to win this battle, which will allow them to continue um, – well, allow not them, but allow others of their race to continue dominating uh, the the galaxy. And they're also going to they're willing to sacrifice their creatures because the power up for their creatures will not only give them power, it's temporary power. It's a huge power up, but it, then they'll die and ultimately it will destroy their own monsters, which if they are under mind control, uh, it's this is a even has another angle of of sadness to it, I guess, because the creatures under mind control have no choice in the matter. Man, I, you know, if they were mindless and then they're being controlled, that'd be one thing. But if they were creatures that would be, you know, tend to be more gentle hearted or something, that adds a level of tragedy that I might just be reading into things. But anyway, uh, sacrifice here. It kind of comes up as a theme for me, um, you know, and we've talked about in the past with Godzilla being about survival, survival of the fittest and all that jazz. Well, here, you know, sacrifice is it's the opposite of survival. Survival of the fittest has no room for self-sacrifice on an individual micro level. Now, on a macro level, I guess self-sacrifice does help benefit the greater whole. Um, and I guess oftentimes, I guess sacrifice is motivated by that, but self-sacrifice is not a sign of strength when it comes down to survival, which is why most monsters and I, you know, taking it from monsters, but also going then back into, you know, monsters is kind of this idea just ballooned up and exaggerated for effect in the story, but you know, most you know, sharks, they don't self-sacrifice. They just survive, you know, and and mindless animals tend to not be willing to sacrifice themselves, except for maybe they're young. And anyway, it, it's here. There's lots of sacrifice going on. And uh, that's an idea that is there on purpose. But because it's 17 pages and there's monster fighting to do, you know, it, it doesn't get all of the play that it possibly could have. Um but it gets a little bit, and, and that makes this story a little bit more than just a slugfest. So the monsters fight, and they actually, the bad guy monsters eventually manage to cut off Red Ronin's head in the process of fighting, sending the head flying, and Rob with it, and the head crashes to the earth, and when we see our final shot of Red Ronin's head, Rob is hanging out of the eye hole, hanging upside down. Uh, it's dramatic and it's unexpected. And while I clearly I predict that Rob is going to survive, I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm maybe crossing my fingers here. Maybe the repairs to Red Ronin will not allow him to pilot the Red Ronin anymore. Maybe we could get Jimmy Woo to take the helm. I can't remember what happens with Red Ronin in these 24 issues. 
which makes it a little bit fun for me because I have read this before, but um, I'm hoping I'm hoping we either get a much more mature Rob, and we are. He has moved beyond being the Kenny, uh, which is the annoying child character. He has moved beyond being that into something where there's stuff going on there for him and change going on there for him. And, you know, a lot of times the Kenny, the change that goes on for them is, I believe about monsters. And then at the end, it's, I was right because I'm a kid. And here, Rob has to deal with some stuff and grapple with some stuff. That's kind of fun. I'm curious to see where this goes. And I'm hoping it goes to places that I like. <laughs> um, so the monsters receive the power up. And Godzilla now standing in front of the monsters. They were his size. Now he looks like a shrimp compared to them as they advance on him menacingly. So here's our final moments. The Badens were on the moon and now they're dead. The Megans were flying to help their monsters and now they're dead. The monsters are now three times the size of Godzilla. And Godzilla, his best buddy, Rob, is now hanging out of the eye socket of the severed head of Red Ronin. Which sounds a lot more morbid than it actually looks. But uh, Godzilla is standing alone against the monsters that will eventually destroy our world. And next issue is the conclusion. And here is what is promised to us. Next issue, the spectacular conclusion. Action, drama, and rare heroism as Godzilla faces the, in parentheses, super mega monsters. So that's that's next. And I mentioned well-drawn fighting. I should probably talk a little bit about the credits here. Uh, who did that well-drawn fighting and well-written characterization? Doug Minch, writer. Herb Trimpey, penciler. Fred Keita, inker. John Costanza, letterer. Don Warfield, colorist, although I wouldn't know it from looking at my edition, which is in black and white. Jim Shooter, editor. All told, I enjoyed this jaunt into Godzilla's corner of the Marvel Universe. These stories so far maybe could be considered juvenile, but if they are, they're juvenile with heart. And Doug Mensch has he's developed some stories that are varied, so it's not just big giant slugfest. And they have character moments, so it's not just uh, big giant slugfest. The character moments matter and the character actions can inspire. So it's not just big giant monster slugfest. And once more, and maybe this is because I'm doing a podcast journal. So I want to go deeper than just the plot. So maybe I'm digging in a little deeper than I would normally as I dig into some pop fiction, pulp fiction, comic book, sci-fi. There's a little bit more to think about as these two warring sides. This is, I guess this is the big takeaway for me is you have these two warring sides that both end up giving their lives willingly, although not without some sort of you know, internal conflict, but willingly give them their lives in the same conflict, but with two very different motivations. And I like this. I like this. I like it a lot. So for the next segment, we're going to jump into John Carter, Warlord of Mars, because Man from Atlantis is the final issue. So I kind of want to end our our uh, discussion for this ep uh, this month of the August 1978 cover date uh, with Man from Atlantis, not John Carter, even though normally we do end with John Carter. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what's next segment. So with all that said, 
I just have to say um, thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you about Godzilla, about any of these comics that we talk about, but I'd love to hear from you. And beyond that, beyond the eternal thanks and beyond the opportunity to spend time with you ruminating about giant monsters and the power of story. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for listening and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, the Prince of Helium returns to his own world. John Carter, warlord of Earth, issue 15. giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. (laughs) 